Turning your Bibles to Psalm 70. Anybody have a heading in their Bible and at the top of the psalm? If so, what does it say? Okay, oh Lord, do not delay. Anybody else? Something different? All right, okay. It's just five short verses, so we'll read this tonight. Um, you can read the odd verses, 1, 3, and 5, and I'll read 2 and 4. So let's read it together. We're all reading from the ESV, so we should be in accord. Would you begin verse 1? Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. I like this psalm, and it's, 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 it's a good psalm to teach and to go through tonight. First of all, it's short, and so you don't need a long attention span to, to work through this psalm. It is typical of the psalms, isn't it? It's a prayer from the heart. It's a desperate prayer for God's help. Um, this psalm shows, you know, the psalms were, were, were written um, as music, and here's a prayer. So it shows, first of all, your prayer doesn't have to be long, does it? We just read this all in probably a minute, <laughs> and that's reading it at a comfortable, comfortable pace. Your prayer doesn't have to be long. And usually, most desperate prayers aren't very long. <laughs> it's just my, my experience. It's like, Lord, help! You know, quick! <laughs> in fact, that's what he's saying here. Look at the first word. Make haste. <laughs> Hurry up, God. Please, quick, right away. He ends it with that same thought in verse 5. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help, my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. And that expresses the, the uh, desperation of our cry. Uh, we come tonight to pray, and, you know, we can be calm sometimes in our prayer, but it's those desperate requests that kind of show a, a sense of urgency and our real need for God. God, here is something we need you to work on, and we ask you, please, bless. We ask you to work. We ask you to, to interact right now. We need you right now. So it shows that um, we can have desperate needs, and we can certainly bring them to the Lord. And that God is a God of timing. I mean, it's often said that God does things in his own timing. And yes, he does. But he also knows that he's placed us in time. And we're very, I'm very time-oriented. And uh, my life depends on time. And so, um, you know, if I need help today, you coming in with twice that help a week from now really doesn't, <laughs> really didn't answer that need. And God knows that, too. He knows that we, when we need our help. And so the psalmist is, is, is doing that. And I think 
make haste is, is one of the clear, it, it starts with that and it ends with that. And so it lets us know, and then that word do not delay, it lets us know that there is an urgent request being brought by the psalmist to God. We can bring our urgent requests to God. Isn't that good to know? Um, you know, I've, I've worked under different circumstances and um, different companies, and they have all they, they all have their own procedures, and they always tell you, you know, well, if you wanted that, you should have put your request in two weeks prior because you know the process it has to go through. I, I remember as an engineer, I had certain jobs I had to draw up and design, and if you wanted it done, you had to do it way ahead of time, so it had time to go through the proper channels and then you had to send it over to construction and if there's anything that had to be revised you had to revise it and I'm like dude this they're waiting for you to do this out on the field go and do it well you know the process you should have done that ahead of time um, but sometimes we have urgent requests and we don't have time for a long formal process it's good to know that our God works in our time he works in our time. He, he works. It's not like he, he's our genie in the bottle and, and, and we make our, our demands, but he knows our time restraints. He knows that, and the psalmist is coming to him with that restraint. A um, couple things I want to look at, kind of, when I, when I look at a psalm like this and I analyze it, I kind of take it apart in the verbiage, and it helps me understand it. So let me show you how I did that today. Um, <clears throat> he identifies in verse 2 and 3, we'll look at those kind of together, um, a couple situations. Uh, who his enemy is? He says in verse 2, Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. And, and I'm going to go backwards from the way it's written. Um, how, what words does he use to describe his enemies in verse 2? And he has two phrases to describe them. I'm not going to write it on the board, but if I could, I'd write as you speak. What's the first phrase he used to describe his enemy? Those who seek my life. All right. So that's the first phrase we write. Mentally write that on your board or on your paper. Next phrase that describes his enemy or those who oppose him in some way. What is it? They delight in my hurt. Okay, so he's using this phrase, they actually want to kill me and they want to hurt me pretty bad. So that's how he describes his enemy. Um, what does he want? Oh, another phrase he uses to describe his enemy is in verse 3. How does he describe him there? No, that's what he wants to happen to his enemy. How does he describe his enemy? The ones who do what? The ones who say aha, aha. <laughs> the ones who ridicule him, right? So he describes his enemy in three phrases. Those who seek his life, those who delight in his hurt, those who say aha, aha. Those who ridicule and laugh at him. And so... As a believer, we can relate to that. Now, the psalm is written um, 
so that I, I think the psalmist is representing different experiences that common experiences that we have and so you don't have to have the exact experience remember we were looking at uh, Psalm 69 the first part of it it says uh, save me O God from the waters have come up to my neck and we were saying you don't have to literally be in a situation where waters are coming up here but maybe it's, a, it's describing a different kind of uh, situation maybe the waters that's coming up to you, maybe you're up to your neck in bills, you know. Maybe you're up to your neck in people bothering you. They're on your last nerve, so to speak, okay. So it's, it's describing the experience of believer in, in, a, in a poetic sense. So you can relate to it uh, in different ways. So in verse, in chapter 70, when he says, um, 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 those who say, aha, aha, he's talking about being ridiculed by others. And, and, and we experience that kind of ridicule, people laughing at or mocking us in different kind of ways. Uh, people who threaten our lives or delight or want to see us hurt in different ways. Now, in associated with each one of those uh, identifiers, this is how he identifies his enemy, is what does he want to see happen to his enemy. It's three phrases for that. Two in, tap, in verse 2 and one in verse 3. What's the first one in, in verse 2? What does he want to happen to his enemy? Verse 2. Let them be put to shame and confusion. Alright, the next phrase in, in verse 2. He wants to happen to his enemy. Let him be turned, be turned back and brought to dishonor. And then in verse 3, what does he want to see happen to his enemy? Okay, let them turn back because of their shame. You know, stop them. Put them in a halt. Don't, 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 don't let them get any further. Okay. Um, and so, again, we can relate to, to, to those. Um, let them be brought to dishonor. Uh, let them be put to shame and confusion. Let them be brought to dishonor and let them be turned back or let them turn back because of shame. Um, now there's a contrast in verse 4. In verse 2 and 3, he uses these three phrases to describe his enemy. These are not the people of God, but these are people that oppose him. And in verse 4, he uses a phrase to describe people like himself. First phrase there, verse 4, what is it? Those who seek you. Those who seek you. All right? He uses another phrase to describe them in verse 4. What's the, what's the other phrase that describes God's people or, or people like him? Those who love your salvation. And another phrase in verse 4 to describe God's people. The one that say God is great. The one who are praising God. The one who's seeking after God, worshiping uh, those who, who love God's salvation and who say God is great, who's praising God. So that kind of describes us in a different way, doesn't it? Um, these are the people of God. So you have the people of God described. You have the people who oppose God's people described. What does he want to happen um, to the people of God. Each one of those uh, phrases has, has something um, associated with it. The first phrase, those who seek you, what does he want to see happen with them? 
Rejoice and be glad. How? In him. That's, that's an important part. Don't just be rejoicing and glad in your drink. Right? Don't just be rejoicing and be glad in your payday to check this in the bank. All right? But rejoice and be glad in him. He wants to see God's people rejoice in God. All right? There's another phrase coming. Um only one more phrase those who love your salvation in fact we use it as a descriptor is those who say God is great but uh, also saying let them say God is great let them rejoice let them praise God all right let's close it up in verse 5 he comes back to what he started out with the first word in verse 1 is make haste so the first two words make haste in verse 5 um, after we get past the poor, I'm poor and needy, hasten to me, O God. And then skip that next phrase and go, O Lord, do not delay. Hasten to me, O God. O Lord, do not delay. Uh, again, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in need right now. I need it now, Lord. Help me right now. It's okay to pray, Lord, help me now. Uh, maybe you're praying for somebody else. Lord, help them right now. I remember being in the hospital and praying at for Donna. Lord, help her right now. She wasn't even aware that I was praying, at least not, she, she wasn't in that kind of a consciousness, but help her now. Help her right now. And so that's a, that's a desperate prayer, but it's okay. We can pray desperate prayers, and God hears those desperate prayers. Then he says this. He identifies himself and he identifies the Lord. I'm poor and needy, but he says, you are my help and my deliverer. One of the ways we worship God is remembering and reciting who he is. He knows who he is. We know who he is, but we acknowledge him. You know something about acknowledging when I say you are my help and my deliverer? I'm recognizing that my help comes from no, no other source. It comes from you. And that's a good thing. I'm waiting for something to come in the mail. I'm like, man, they didn't send it. They didn't put it in the mail. Or, man, the mailman, he missed my house. He didn't deliver. Or, or UPS or FedEx didn't come on time. They didn't bring it. You know, but when I know it's the Lord is my help, I can count on him. I don't have to worry about anybody or anything hindering him. He is going to get to me what I need. He's in control of everything. And so I can rest at that. You are my help. So when I'm in desperate prayer, I'm saying, I need this. I need this right away. Guess what? It's coming from the Lord. My help is coming from the Lord. I can rest in that. And so just to, just to um, summarize real quickly, make haste. You're in a hurry. You, you need something. You're in desperation. God can answer, and he does answer um, that kind of prayer. This is an example. It's a model of the Psalms. And, uh, you know, um, sometimes when you need to pray, go to a short prayer, Psalm 70. Read it through. Pray it back to God. God, I don't have time for a big, fancy, dressed-up prayer. I'm just praying to you. Help me now. Right now, I need your help.
continue in our meditation. Said, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. And why are you anxious? Therefore, do not be anxious. Therefore, do not be anxious. It may be a guess on my part, but maybe this message is about being anxious. Now, when you look at what Dad was teaching us in Psalm 70, I think that one of the keys to looking at Psalm 70 and understanding it is, don't you see that the psalmist was rejecting a man-based religion? Didn't you see that? He was looking towards God. Well, look at this here. He says, don't be anxious. Why? Because what should you be focused on, right? He says, look at all these things you're focused on. You focused on the body, on the food, on this, on that. He said, look at the birds. Why should you look at the birds? Because you're trying to understand the hand of God. And he says, which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? In other words, the second question is, what does anxious do for you? Does it add to your life? I think studies have shown that anxiousness actually takes hours away from your life. Wouldn't you say you feel more revived after worrying or more tired? He says, don't be anxious. For the Gentiles seek after these things. Let's turn it around another way. Maybe we could say it this way. When you think after those things, you will be anxious. Right? If you seek after these things, yeah, you'll be anxious. 
Who can't be anxious when they don't know if your car can get a flat anytime, right? We don't know. How do you know? How do you know the guy next to you won't blow a tire and pull off into you? Do you know that? Well, if you want to be anxious, that's a reason to be. Every time we get out on the road in the city of Milwaukee, somebody out there could be running a red light or a stop sign or driving drunk or driving on drugs. And if you want to be anxious, you can certainly be anxious. And every time you close your eyes in your house and you go to sleep, somebody could be planning to break in your house. And if you want to be anxious, you can certainly be anxious. And every time you turn on the news, you hear about the virus going here and the virus going there and people closing down this thing and closing down that thing. And if you wanted to be anxious, you could certainly find reasons to be anxious. If you got money in the stock market, you got reason to be anxious. If your job is dependent on you going in and dealing with people on a daily basis, you got a reason to be anxious. Maybe you're dealing with people that are a little bit less than mentally stable. And you might be wondering, are you going to be the next Miller Coors? You got a reason to be a little anxious. There's no end to the things we could be anxious about. And all of them could be valid. Because we see them every day. But he says, put first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and these things will be added. Now, is that a promise to be rich? No, but let me just say another thing. Could it not be said that anxiousness is the enemy of faith? Could it not be said that maybe the reason the world is scared of the coronavirus is because they don't have any faith? Could it be that they're trusting in their health, that they really think that they have the power to stop a disease that they can't even see? Could it really be that the reason markets are going out of control is because they despair the fact that man can't control a disease that man did not make? A process that man doesn't understand? Could it be that people are anxious because they're not seeking the kingdom of God, they're seeking the kingdom of man? And that's where all anxiousness comes from. People telling people, go to church, but don't shake nobody's hand. Because you might get the virus. <laughs> people come to work, yeah, you know, I don't shake hands at church. You know what I'm doing now? I'm just going like this. You know what we're going to do? When I see somebody I really like, I just give them an elbow bump like this. But I wash my elbow. And they are not joking. They serious. And one guy told me, he said, I don't know if I can pick up another guy and bring him to work because the coronavirus. And I was like, hey, man, did you know that out of 5.5 million people in this state, we only have two people who are actively got the virus? He was like, yeah, I know, but I'm scared. He's scared. He's scared. If we're going to be killed tomorrow, it's not going to be the virus. 
we got a lot more things to worry about than some virus that have hit two people in the state. The whole world is paralyzed by fear because they do not trust the hand of Almighty God. And you too will be paralyzed if you do not trust God. Because whether you get the virus or not, you still got to trust God. Will anxiousness cure you of the virus if you have it? Do not go in the way of this world who seek after themselves. They worry about everything. Stock market is going out of control because they are out of their minds. Let us not go in that same way and be out of our minds. And I would say we will be out of our minds because we seek these things. But let's seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He let him take care of the rest. Amen. How are we doing tonight, everybody? So tonight, <laughs> let's play for Brian's and Nick's soul quick. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, so let's um, pray about just... Actually, I think Brian brought up a very interesting part. Let's just pray about our society and, like, just the freaking out that is going on because of this virus. I mean, everybody said there's, like, three people sick in the state, and people are, like, they're talking about closing schools. I'm, I'm, like, I'm telling you this, like, personally, like, I got clients canceling sessions with me. It's, like, hurting my money. And I'm, like, there ain't nobody sick here. Like, there's nobody sick in South at all and like but it's like you know it's it's affecting all of our walks of life because of this fear for this this virus and you know we know that our lives are in God's hands you know it could be the bubonic plague but we know that our lives are set every hair on our head is counted so to live your life in fear, we shouldn't have to live in that fear. Now, I'm not saying go around and, like, be kissing on people who are sick. Be like, oh, God got me. I mean, you be smart. Like, you know, don't tempt God's fate either. Like, <laughs> but at the same time, like, pray for those in our society who are living fearful lives and overly fearful and just praise for... Um, God, that he has us, and that we have a, a Savior that we can rely on and have faith in that he controls our lives. It's like everything in our life. Job, you know, driving to work. I mean, all that kind of stuff. So let's pray on those things. Um, let's have, who wants to volunteer? Let's have two or three volunteers to pray, and then I will close us. Pastor? We continue in prayer. We just... First and foremost, just praise you so much for um, choosing us to be your children. That we know that you are a God that has us in your hands. That you um, were first and foremost concerned with our salvation. That you picked us apart and you picked us to be a part of you and um, just chose us for that. And as a result, we have this faith in you, knowing that you have us. You have control of our lives in every aspect of it. And you know what's going on. There's no surprises. 
and we know that we can have this comfort in you, knowing that you will conduct our lives as you see fit. And whatever that is, Lord, we just praise you in that, and we praise you in your wisdom, and um, you knowing best how to um, orchestrate each and every one of our lives in the course of our lives. We ask that you just be with anybody who is a believer who may be struggling with fear of this nature, that, that they can reach out to fellow believers and just speak to them, and that we can minister to them and um, quiet their hearts and let them know that you are in control and you are in control of their lives. We ask that you just be with our city as um, people are just so fearful of this, almost to the point of paralysis. And we just ask that you allow us to just witness to them, knowing so that we can let them know that you are in control of the situation. And um, just allow it to be another avenue that we can just witness about you and your greatness. And um, if they get sick, that you get, it is your plan. And um, if they pass, it's your plan. If they make it through, it's your plan. It's all planned, and you all do it for a reason, and you, you have that control, and we just thank you for that, Lord, knowing that there's no better person to have that control in our lives than you. In your name we pray.